0: morning our reading today is from Paul's letter to the Romans 16 verses 1 and 2 I commend to you our sister Phoebe a servant of the church of Sancria I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you for she has been a great help to many people including me thank you Lord for your word Don, thanks for doing a reading and try to throw in one difficult word there of a city nobody's ever heard of just to make it challenging, so did a good job on that. Thank you. Ainsley, wherever you are, man, oh, they're out there. Great job, Ainsley. Man, that was great. She, she was saying, because I go, man, hey, you're singing kind of low, like an alto. She goes, I can only do that if I do it with a southern twang, you know, so that was like, okay, that worked. <laughs> Perfect for that song. Let's pray and ask God to teach us. help, Lord. We need your help. We admit it. We are helpless without you. So we cry out for help. Lord, we cry out for help for ourselves. We need to be more like Christ. That's your plan, and Lord, we can't do it on our own. It's impossible. We need the work of the Holy Spirit. We need the blood of Christ. We need you. So we cry out for help. Lord, I can't preach this sermon in a way that honors you and helps to change lives without your help, so I cry out for help. Lord, there are those who are in Florida and Alabama, those areas have been hit by Hurricane Michael, they're crying out for your help. Lord, we lift them up to you and, and pray that they would get the help they need through you and you working through others to help them during this crisis. Lord, we have military people who are deployed, who have recently returned and been reunited with families, and they need your help. Help them, Lord. Minister to them. Lord, our students away at school need your help. Those who are ill and sick, they need your help. Those who have run away from you and strayed, they need your help. So, Lord, we cry out for your help, for those we care for, those we love, but even for strangers that we haven't yet met. We cry out for help. Lord, may your spirit now speak to us so that we would know how you want to use us to be able to help others with the giftings you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The year was 1989. You might flash back and wonder where you were, think where you were. I had just been called to a church in Hawaii Kai to be their their lead pastor, and one of my first duties was they brought a a family up on the stage, Joe and Mary and their two boys, and said, we're sending them out as medical missionaries to Tonga, and we'd like you to to lay your hands on them and pray for them. Joe was a medical doctor. He'd been in the Navy as a doctor. Now he was going to go to Tonga and share Christ through medicine. He would end up having as one of his patients in Tonga the, uh, the king of Tonga himself. And so we're praying over them, and, and um, it came out that they were moving out of a place they were renting, and I need to rent a place, so I just actually moved into the place that they moved out of. It worked out really well, and they left behind in the house a, a painting, original oil painting that was four feet by eight feet, huge painting of a sailboat called Ichiban, and it was a sailboat sailing off Diamond Head, and I asked Joe about it. I said, well, what's this painting, and why did you leave it here? And he goes, well, it's stupid to take to Tonga. I'd like you to see about taking it down to our friend Sandy's store in Honolulu, and he'll just keep it for me because um, we can't take it to Tonga. I go, oh, so what is this painting? He said, oh, well, it's a painting of a boat I used to own, Ichiban, and my wife hired this surfer kid from Maui to paint it and then she gave it to me as a, as a gift as a present I thought, okay so somehow we got the painting downtown to Honolulu to Sandy's store and and uh, he put it up against the wall covered it with a blanket kind of forgot about it we all forgot about it and one day a customer walks into Sandy's store and he just kind of looks under the blanket and sees the painting and he looks at Sandy and pulls out a wad of cash and said how much do you want for it it's like, whoa, what is this painting? So Sandy said, no, I can't sell. It's not my painting. But after the man left, Sandy took the blanket off, and he looked at the painting, and he, he looked at the name of the artist. And the name of the artist, Christian Reese Lassen, who's now world famous of doing underwater paintings and seascapes and things like that. The painting was worth about $10,000 at that time. And he had just been some little surfer guy that got hired to do a painting, and now he's world famous. I bring this story up because we've been talking about giftings, and we're finishing up a a six-part series, which was sort of planted in the middle of our 1 Corinthians series, and so if you're confused, don't be confused. We're just doing 1 Corinthians, but in the middle, we talked six weeks about spiritual gifting. We're going to finish it up today, and you have a gift. You are gifted. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have a supernatural gift, and I've been calling that a superpower, because that sounds cooler. You have a superpower, and we want to help you discover what that is. We've been talking about how we partner with God, and God is in us, and partnering with God is your part, and God in you is God's part, and you come together and you work together to accomplish amazing things, supernatural things. And God has given you a gift, maybe more than one gift, in order for Him to work through you for the glory of God and for the benefit of other people people and today if you take out your sermon outline and if you didn't get one um, feel free to jump up and go to the back and get one on the table or just go like this and and maybe one of our ushers will be um, kind enough or Josh will get you uh, an outline because it'll be easier for you if you have an outline follow along because I want to give you five practical ways to help you discover your superpower and we've been going expositionally through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're not going to do that today. Today what we want to do is just be real practical with five steps to help you understand what your gifting is. And they all start with E. And the first one is explore. Explore. Explore your possibilities or your options. What are the options? What what are the gifts? Now, I mentioned last week that I used to hand out a list of the spiritual gifts along with their definitions. Until working on the sermon, I realized the Bible doesn't have a complete list of gifts, and it never gives definitions. So I felt like, well, how can I give you a complete list of of spiritual gifts with definitions if the Bible doesn't even do that? So what I would suggest, if you want to know what your options are, is to read the four passages where some of the gifts are highlighted and we read them last week we're not going to read them today but they're listed there on your outline they're in Romans 12 1st Corinthians 12 Ephesians 4 and 1st Peter 4 and if you read those you'll see a list of gifts it's not a complete list but it'll help you understand what some of the gifts are and then Other places in Scripture, we have the gift of celibacy that the Apostle Paul had, the ability to stay unmarried and serve the Lord. We have people who are martyred for their faith. That seems to be a spiritual gift, an ability to do that with grace toward others and forgiveness. And so we don't really know how many gifts there are. And God might be adding to the list. He might be subtracting from the list. And the other thing we saw is the gifts are not defined. So I would suggest that Two people can have the same gifting, and yet it's expressed differently. For example, you might get a gift of art for Christmas, and your friend goes, oh, I got a gift of art too, and you both got a gift of art, and then you go to compare your gifts, and yours is a sculpture, and theirs is a watercolor. Now, you're not going to say, wait, that's not a gift of art. This is a gift of art. No, they're both gifts of art. They just are manifested differently. So you might have the exact same gift of helps or service or powers or whatever it might be, and it might be expressed completely differently than someone else. Now, you can look at the lists in the scripture. That's one way to discover. Or explore your gift. Another way is to take one of those spiritual inventories. Now, I'm not real big on those. I'll tell you why. I took one this last week. I thought I'd take one, spiritual inventory. And the first thing I noticed is they chose what gifts would be on the list. And they decided that no supernatural looking gift would be on the list. So you automatically didn't have the gift of healing or tongues or a prophecy in terms of foretelling the future. You didn't have the gift of knowledge of having a word of knowledge where you knew something about somebody that you couldn't know unless God revealed it to you. Uh, there were no miracles. Nothing on the list was what we would call supernatural. The other thing I noticed is that you could give the same list to a group of Muslims in an Islamic mosque, and you would get the exact same results. Do you like to tell people about God, yes or no? Oh, you're an evangelist. Well, you could give that in a mosque, and they'd say yes or no. So I looked at that, and I go, inventory might stimulate your thinking, but I wouldn't rely too heavily on a spiritual inventory. Now, if you're here and you wrote one, and uh, (laughs) I'm bad-mouthing your inventory, I apologize, but I just haven't found them that helpful. So explore your options. Number two, here's another way to know your gift or discover it, is to experiment with various gifts. Experiment. Try them out. Find out if you have it. In school, I loved math and science. I excelled at them. They were easy for me. I loved them, but I hated chemistry, and you would think I would like chemistry, and I don't know if it's the professor I had in 10th grade who was uh, kind of a thin, bookish kind of guy with thick glasses that didn't really relate to people very well. I, I don't know if it was him, but I didn't like chemistry. I thought chemistry should be an exciting course with magic potions that you learn to mix, you know, and explosions and invisible ink, and it could have been really exciting, but it wasn't. It was boring. Just memorize a chart and make these stick figures and something about moles that I never could figure out. It had nothing to do with animals, but moles and whatever. Well, one day, though, this professor... Called the whole class up to the front of the class, and there was a table there, counter, and he had a beaker and he had all these chemicals. I go, Well, this looks interesting. And he starts pouring the chemicals into the glass beaker, and we're all looking at it, and it starts to bubble and foam. I go, Now, this is more like it. And as we're all leaning over this glass beaker over the table, it totally explodes, and shards of glass go everywhere. And as a 15 year old boy, I'm going, This is more like it. (laughs) This is what I'm expecting from chemistry. Now, fortunately, no one was hurt in the explosion. But I did notice the teacher was not hired back the next semester for chemistry. (laughs) You know, experiments can be dangerous. Whether it's in the chemistry class or maybe in the church, You, you volunteer and you experiment. And like, you know, it goes south. It doesn't go well. But it's just as good to know what gift you don't have as to know what gift you have. If you think you're gifted in worship, just meet with Pastor Josh. He'll let you know. (laughs) And it might be an explosion. You may not be gifted in worship, but he'll let you know. It's good to know what you don't have. And when you experiment, let's say you, you say, well, I wonder if I have the gift of teaching. Well, I would suggest you start with three or four people not 300 or 400 people to see if that's the gift of teaching, and that you volunteer for maybe two or three weeks, not for two or three months. You know, start off small, experiment, see how it goes. Or let's say you think you might have the gift of hospitality. Well, before you invite an unwed high school teenage girl who's pregnant into your home for nine months... Why don't you just get a really nice missionary couple who loves the Lord, who are easygoing, and have them spend the weekend in your house and see how that goes? Because if that doesn't go well, you're not going to do so well with a high school student. So experiment with things. Or maybe you wonder if you have the gift of missionary. Well, don't quit your job and sell your house and move to Goomba Goomba land to find out. Go on a short-term mission trip and see how that goes. Experiment. If you want to know if you have the gift of giving, are you giving 10% regularly? Okay, now give 15. How about 25? How about 30? Before you give everything you own away and take a vow of poverty, start small, experiment, see how it goes. Experiment with various gifts. And one way to do that is to look around and see what the needs are. Needs in church, the needs in the community. You know, sometimes people go to a a church and they go, oh, this church doesn't have this, I'm leaving. It's like, hello, maybe it was God showing you that the church needs you to do this or that. So when you see something that's lacking, it could be God the Holy Spirit speaking to you to help fill that need. Experiment with various gifts. See how they work. See how you do. See how people respond. Years ago, there was a young woman. She'd never taught Sunday school before, and and we had some of those coveted Sunday school spots open up. And so she thought, you know, I could try it. And so she she thought, I'll I'll just start teaching. So she was getting ready to go to class, and the night before class, one of the five-year-olds who was going to be in her class called her on the phone. And said, Auntie, um, I'm not going to be in class, but I want to tell you how to do the class. So, Auntie, when the kids come in, you greet them warmly, and you shake their hand, you ask them their name. And then you ask them to sit down, and you have the whole class read the rules that are on the board. And then, Auntie, make sure you bring plenty of those those, uh, goldfish snacks when you come, you know? Well, the auntie followed the five-year-old's instructions, and she's been teaching Sunday school ever since. She experimented, and it was successful. And as I said, experiment, and if it doesn't go well, it's just as good to find out what gifts you don't have as it is to find out what gifts you do have. But remember, gifts take time to develop. You're not instantly going to be the best at whatever you try the first time, the second time. They take time to develop. I don't know if you are familiar with the story of John Mark in Scripture. I'd like to have you turn with me if you have your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. I'd like to just highlight this young man's progression in the growth of his spiritual gift. We're going to look at Acts 12, 25, and this is the beginning of the church. It's been birthed. The Holy Spirit has come. Pentecost has come. The people are filled with the Holy Spirit. A man by the name of Saul has been converted. We're going to know him as Paul. He and another man by the name of Barnabas are instructed by the church to go deliver an offering to some Christians, and they they make that trip. They go from Jerusalem to Antioch, back to Jerusalem. They get back to Jerusalem, and we pick up the story in verse 25 of Acts 12. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, their mission of delivering these funds to the needy, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. So they had him go with them. And then chapter 13, verse 13 we find out in chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas and John Mark go on a mission trip, and we pick it up in verse 13. Now, Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos. That's the island of Cyprus where they've been doing some ministry. And they came to Perga and Pamphylia, which is in what we call Turkey. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So here they are in the first missionary journey. They haven't finished it yet. They're midstream of of sharing Christ with people, building churches, and John Mark bailed. We don't know why. It doesn't say why he left, but he left them mid-trip and went home to his home church back in Jerusalem. Well, Paul and Barnabas continued on their missions trip. They planted churches. They led people to Christ. And then we come to chapter 15, verse 36. After Paul and Barnabas had been back at their home church, they decided to go on a second missionary trip, and this one is back to the churches that they planted. Let's go see how they're doing. Verse 36 in chapter 15. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, you'll notice that now his name is mentioned first. So now it's kind of like he's taking over the leadership. He's in charge. He's not called Saul, now he's called Paul. His name is mentioned first. Paul and Barnabas stayed Uh, Verse 36, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Let's go back to all those places that we went on the first trip, and Barnabas was desirous of taking John, called Mark, along with them also. He goes, that's great, let's take John Mark with us, because you know, last time he kind of bailed, and he didn't get to see the churches, and he didn't get to see all these people, so now's a second chance for John Mark. Verse 38, one of my favorite words, but changes everything, but Paul. Now, you've got to remember the temperaments. Barnabas is a sanguine encourager, a person. You know, he walks in the room mouth first. You know, he's just a lovable guy, the son of encouragement. Paul is a cleric. Clerics are goal-oriented. They tend to see the goal, but not the people. They just want to get the job done. So, Paul kept insisting they should not take John Mark along, who had, I like this word, had deserted them. So we've gone from the fact he left them to Paul saying, he deserted us in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. He didn't do the work last time, why should we let him go this time? And there arose such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. Sharp disagreement, that's kind of the Christian way of saying they had kind of a fight, I guess. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. Now, God used this disagreement for his glory because now we have two teams instead of one team, and they're covering more ground. But Paul didn't want anything to do with John Mark. Now, let's fast forward quite a number of years to the book of 2 Timothy. We're going to look at chapter 4. In your outline it says verse 1, that's a misprint, it should be verse 11. It's a misprint because I wrote it wrong, (laughs) not the secretary, verse 11. And here we are at the end of Paul's life. This is a swan song. He's in a Roman prison. He's going to be executed for being a believer, for loving the Lord Jesus. And who does he want with him before he dies? 2 Timothy 4.11. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark, John Mark, and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. Wow. We don't know what happened in between, other than we know that John Mark must have changed. He must have matured. He must have grown in his superpower, that he goes from being worthless to being useful to the Apostle Paul. From one that Paul wants nothing to do with, to a person that Paul is dying, and who does he want to be with? He wants to be with John Mark. Some of you have had a bad experience in a church. I've had a bad experience in a church. (laughs) We have sinful people. People make mistakes. People hurt us. People, People mess up. Pastors mess up. But don't be discouraged. God wants to use you. Whatever your power is, your gifting, it can be developed. It can grow. And John Mark, his power grew to the point the Apostle Paul finally recognized hey, this man is valuable to me. Please don't give up on yourself just because someone else gave up on you, because God has not. Explore your options, experience with various gifts, and that brings us to number three in your outline. Examine your feelings. Examine your feelings. Somewhere along the line, we Christians have allowed feelings to fall into disrepute. As if feelings are evil or, or sinful or some inferior thing in our life. God has feelings. You're created in the image of God. You were given feelings because God has feelings. Now, you don't want to go to the extreme of the world that says, if it feels good, do it. You know, your feelings shouldn't be in charge of everything you do. That's a mistake. But your feelings should guide you they should affect you they should influence you some people have gone that opposite extreme that you you shouldn't you shouldn't feel good about serving the lord and have you ever had someone say like you said something like oh the last thing i want to do is be a missionary or you don't you go oh don't say that god will make you be a missionary It's like really as if god's up there listening let's find out what would make this person miserable and make them do it well that's not the kind of god we have God loves you. God enjoys you. God is your biggest fan. God always wants what's best for you. If you happen to be someone who just loves to cook and cook for other people and you enjoy it, well, don't say, well, I know God can't use my cooking because I like it too much. (laughs) That might be just what He wants you to use for His glory. I hate cooking. So, by the way, if you cook for me, <laughs> I'll appreciate it because I don't like to cook. You might be one of those people that hates coming up in front on the stage. You know, to read the Scripture, you, you die before you can't to read the Scripture. But you love working behind the scenes. You're the person who comes here in vacuums or sets up chairs or sets up the Sunday school room or serves over here or serves over there, and you enjoy that. Well, God's not going to make you get up here and give a sermon because you hate doing a sermon. Why not do the things you enjoy? That's okay. It's okay. Now, you may enjoy being up front. You may enjoy being on the stage, and that's okay too. Examine your feelings. One of my favorite verses is Philippians two, thirteen. Philippians 2.13 says this. It says, it is God who is at work in you. That's that partnership we've been talking about, God in you. It's God who is at work in you. It's a partnership. And notice what he does when he's working in you, both to will or desire and to work. That's the Greek word from which we get our word energy. So he's giving you the power and the desire for his good pleasure. He's going to give you the desire to do the things that please Him, and those things are going to please you. You're both going to be pleased. It's a good deal. Fourth century A.D., church father, St. Augustine, once said, love God and do as you please. He didn't just say do as you please. He said love God. And do as you please. Because if you truly love God, what pleases you is what pleases God. It's like if you're in a beautiful love relationship with your spouse. And if you really love them, what's going to please you is pleasing to them and vice versa. God wants you to find pleasure in serving Him, in serving others. It should be pleasurable. Oh, pastor, does that mean I'm always happy and there's no trial? No, that's not what I'm saying. You're going to have happy, you're going to have happy, and you're going to have trials. You're going to have sadness and grief, and you're going to have joy. But overall, you're going to find pleasure even in the trial. That's why James says that you can rejoice in trials. There's joy, there's pleasure in the trials, because you're doing it out of your love for God. Examine your feelings. Your emotions aren't everything, but they also aren't nothing. Number four, evaluate your effectiveness. Evaluate your effectiveness. Since spiritual gifts are for the purpose of accomplishing a task, it is not unusual for us to expect them to work, for them to accomplish something, for them to to be effective. You should expect results when you use your superpower. In John 14, we discover that Jesus himself expects your gifting to work. He expects it to be effective. Look at John 14, verse 12. Jesus says something that's very difficult, really, to comprehend. John 14, 12, Jesus is speaking, and he says, truly, truly, when Jesus says, truly, truly, amen, amen, verily, verily, he's saying, this is really true, but it may not sound like it. You've got to get this down. It's true. I say to you, he who believes in me, pretty broad group of people, he who believes in me, you and me, the works that I do shall he do also. Well, what kind of works did Jesus do? well, he made blind man see, he made the deaf hear, he cast out demons, lame people could walk, he rose people from the dead, he helped people come to eternal salvation. You shall do. And then he says, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. Greater works? How do you do greater works than Jesus? He says it's because he goes to the Father and we know he goes to the Father and they send the Holy Spirit and we get the Holy Spirit and we do these works through the Holy Spirit. But he says the works we're going to do are are greater than what Jesus did. What does he mean by that? I don't know. But I wonder if it might have something to do with the fact that when you see God work a miracle, that's expected. But when you see a frail human man or woman work a miracle, that's unexpected. It's like if there's a great preacher, famous preacher, and you go to hear him preach, you expect a great sermon. But when an eight-year-old boy stands up and preaches a great sermon, you're going, whoa, that's amazing. It's a greater work. I'm wondering if that what Jesus meant, is that it's a greater work because I'm going to perform the works through you. And you are a broken vessel, And yet you're going to do amazing things through the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. Jesus expects us to do amazing things by the power of God in us. That's why it's a partnership. God in you. And you partnering with God. Spiritual gifts work. Superpowers work. I talked about Superman when I was a little boy. His superpowers worked. When he jumped off a tall building, he flew. It worked. (laughs) When he stood in front of a bullet, it bounced off his chest. It worked. Your superpower works. So evaluate your effectiveness. If you have the gift of help's you should expect people to be helped by what you've just done. If you have the gift of wisdom, you should expect people to say, wow, what you said was so wise, I put it to practice and made all the difference. If you have the gift of comfort, you should expect people to be amazingly comforted by you ministering to them. If you have the gift of healing, then you should expect people to be healed. You should expect results. From your gifting. Which leads to number five. You should expect confirmation. Expect confirmation. People should say, I was healed when you prayed for me. I was comforted when you comforted me. I was helped when you helped me. Other people should confirm your gifting. Look at the passage that was read at the beginning of the message in Romans 16, verses 1 and 2, Paul's finishing up a letter that he wrote. He's sending it to the Christians in Rome, Italy, possibly being delivered by a woman by the name of Phoebe. He's commending Phoebe to the church in Rome. She's probably carrying this letter. He says in Romans 16, 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is at Cenchrea. That word servant is a word that... Um, we get our word deacon from, as I mentioned before, it can be translated minister or servant because a minister and servant are the same thing. Phoebe is a minister, a servant of the church, which is at Kenchrea. That's a little town next to Corinth in Greece. And he says that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. Why? For she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself, as well paul says phoebe's gifting had results she helped the apostle paul and you might say well who am i to help so and so well you are empowered by the god of the universe you see it's not really about you it's about him working through you and god worked through phoebe to minister to help the apostle paul There's confirmation that she had a gift from God. And the Apostle Paul confirmed it. You're going to have people say, man, you're so gifted at that. Accept it. Say, yes, Lord God, give me a gift. Expect confirmation. Last week, before we dismissed the kids, I prayed something I don't think I've ever prayed in this church quite this way. I prayed that I always pray for the kids to come to know Jesus. But I added something. I said, even if it's a child's first time to our church... May they come to know Jesus. After church, one of the little boys, first time in Sunday school, prayed to receive Jesus Christ. Visitor, first time. You should expect results. When you pray for a child the first time to come to know Jesus Christ, I was surprised. I wasn't expecting results. (laughs) Expect results when you pray. When you pray for something, look for the answer. Otherwise, why pray it? If you're gifted and you're using your gift, expect results. So those are five steps. I think they're scriptural and they're not from any one particular passage of scripture, but I think they help you discover your supernatural ability. Explore the possibilities. Experiment with various gifts. Examine your feelings. Evaluate your effectiveness. And expect confirmation. So I close by asking you, to leave here and unleash your superpower for the glory of God. Let's pray together and I'd like to ask you to bow your heads so you could have a private moment. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I'd like to ask you, have you received the gift of eternal life? That's where you start. You get the gift of eternal life by recognizing that Jesus Christ died for your sins on the cross. He paid the penalty. That he conquered death. He died in your place and he rose from the grave to prove that he conquered death. And Jesus says that if you call on him, if you believe in him, you shall be saved. If you're here today and you believe in him, call out to him. Ask him to be your savior. Yield your will to his will and he will save you. Just cry out, Lord Jesus, help me. Christian, have you asked the Lord to unleash your superpower, the gifting that He's given to you? If you haven't, ask Him. Ask Him, Lord Jesus, help me discover that superpower you've given me. Help me to use my gifting in a way that gives you glory and helps other people. Fill me with your spirit and do great works through me. Lord, we love you. And we thank you that you partner with us, that you are in us. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. I'd like to close with um, a benediction found in the book of Jude, verses 20 and 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life, in whose name I pray. Amen. Have a great Sunday. We love you, and uh, we'll see you soon.